Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be back with you. We are in week number five. That means verse five of Psalm 23, where we're looking at the promises of God when he is our shepherd and we, being his sheep, follow him and trust him with our entire lives. Well, last week we looked at the valley of the shadow of death and how even though, right, that's that phrase we've been kind of looking at, even though we may be in a valley, the good shepherd who is Jesus Christ himself is with us, guiding us through that valley. And because he is there with us, that means that we have nothing to fear. We fear no danger. Right, Even though we may be going through a valley, we can say that other phrase that we've been looking at. We can say that it is well with my soul, no matter the situation. Let's say that together. It is well with my soul, no matter the situation. Right, We can say that because our faith is not founded upon our situations, but it's founded upon our shepherd. Right, but before we go any further, let's read our text again. We want to get this thing buried in our hearts. David said to bury the word of God in your heart so that it can uh, come to light any time that God wants to bring it there. So here we go. Let's say it together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows." Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Man, so many good promises in that, and I've been excited to have been taking this apart just one verse at a time, looking at everything that God has in here. So if you remember from next week that David, right, he has this belly full of green, grassy salad in that mountain, probably the big bottled Fiji water, and he's had a good night's rest. He's getting ready to head through a valley, right? They're not going to stop there and live there forever. They're going to be walking through this difficult terrain, trying to get to another pasture where there's more green grass, there's more fresh waters, and there's more rest to be had. And I, I, we all need to remember that it's not if they go through a valley in life, but it's when, right? It says, even when I go through a valley in life. But in those valleys that David's going through, he makes a bold statement. He says, I fear no danger, right? David's not afraid. And I love this verse because not only does it talk about the Lord being with us, but David really takes this idea that used to be, he lets me lie down, he leads me beside, to this phrase that we're using now. He makes the shepherd personal when he says, you are with me. It's your rod and your staff. He's having this one-on-one conversation with God now. We're just kind of eavesdropping on his conversation with God. 
right? This rod and the staff, they represent the protection and the direction that's going to bring David comfort as he walks through this valley. And that's why he fears no danger. He's a living testimony of that phrase, it is well with my soul, no matter the situation. And today in verse 5, David is going to be continuing uh, using this personal language with the shepherd when we talk about the table, when we talk about the oil, and when we talk about the cup. And so today's sermon, I've called it Reservation for Two. It's a resi for two. Would you bow your heads and let's dive into God's word today. Father, we are thankful that you've given us this. Lord, of all the things that you've shown David through this text that we get to uh, now look at and apply to our lives as well. God, we know that these promises are not going to be broken. God, that you follow through with your promises. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. Jesus, that you lead us and guide us down the paths for your name's sake. And I pray that as we go through this today, that God, that you would take all my, my jumbled words and that you would turn them into something, something that somebody can take away today, Lord, that they would hear your truth um, through this message, Lord. Please go before us and let your word be heard today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's look at our verse today. This is verse five, and the first thing we're gonna see is the table, all right? We're gonna see the table. Look at what the verse says. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's that personal language again. David is talking to God and saying, hey, God, it's you who prepares the table before me. Now, there's two different camps of thought inside of verse 5. One camp thinks that, okay, we're going to continue with our sheep talk. Like God started verses 1 through 4, he's talking about sheep. He's going to continue talking sheep through the end of this. However, there's scholars on the other end who believe that, no, we're having banquet talk now. So God has flipped it and started talking about people. So now, I don't really know which one to take, but the thing that I do know is that there is benefits in looking at both sides of this. So that's what we're going to do today, and you can make your own decision, whichever camp you want to be in for this. So let's start with our sheep facts, right? So on the journey through the valley, the sheep and the shepherd, they would finally be coming out of this valley. They're getting out of this rough terrain, they're getting out of the hard cliffs, and they eventually get to the high mountain countries in the summer ranges, And these lands would be called the Alp lands, or I get this, they're called the table lands. I'd never known that before. These are called the table lands. And the sheep and the shepherd, they would love getting to the table lands. It's almost a phew, we're finally here, right? The kids in the back have been saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? And now you can finally answer, yeah, we're there. We've came, we've arrived. This is where we're gonna be. And in many places around the world, like in Europe and in Africa, these high plateaus were often referred to as mesas. Have you heard that before? Mountains being referred to as mesas? Well, get this. The Spanish word and the African Swahili word mesa means table. So they were traveling to the table. One of the most popular, and maybe some of you have seen this, this is Table Mountain in Cape Town, South Africa. It's very popular tourist location, but you can see how they have that plateau right on the top. This is that picture of those tablelands. And so what David could have been referring to was those high mountain summer ranges, right? When David, he was, he was a shepherd himself, 
He would be taking his sheep to the tablelands, and they would be gone for weeks or even perhaps months at a time. They're going to stay well until the fall season, until the grass starts to go away, and then it starts to get pretty chilly. It's like going camping in the bighorns in late fall. It's pretty cold at night, doesn't it? That's what's going on. David, though, he understood this yearly journey and understood what it meant to prepare a table, or in this instance, to go and prepare the table land before the sheep. He went up there before the sheep, The shepherd would go ahead of them. He would go before the sheep and prepare the terrain for their grazing. Right, Early seasons, the shepherd would make a few pre-trips to survey the land. He would check for poisonous flowers and poisonous weeds. He'd be looking around the terrain to make sure, like, okay, there's rocks and crevices here. There could be predators sitting inside of these. I want to make sure that we get those out of there so that my sheep are safe. Philip Keller Uh, He's the guy who wrote that book, A Shepherd Reads Psalm 23. I've been looking at a lot of his stuff, trying to get my mind wrapped around sheep. Again, I'm not a sheep herder. I don't know much about them. I just know that they're dumb and they're fluffy. That's about it. (laughs) But he writes this in his book. He says, unknown to me, the first sheep ranch I owned had a rather prolific strand of blue and white camas. These were very pretty flowers. But the blue camas were a delightful sight in the spring when they bloomed along the beaches, and the white camas, though a much less conspicuous flower, were also quite attractive, but a deadly menace to sheep. If lambs in particular ate or even nibbled on just a few of the lily-white leaves, it would spell certain death. The lambs would become paralyzed. They would stiffen up like blocks of wood and simply succumb to the toxic poisons of the plants. And then he goes on to say this. He said, my kids and I spent days and days going over the ground and plucking out these poisonous plants. It was a reoccurring task that had to be done every spring before the sheep went to the pasture lands. So though tedious and tiring with all of the bending over and plucking these weeds, it was a case of preparing the table and the presence of my enemies. So as a shepherd... David would be preparing these lands, these table lands for his sheep, for his flock. He's pulling out the poisonous stuff, looking for places where predators could be hiding. But David was practically just cleaning house while he was preparing this table. But David knew not only of the table lands being prepared in the presence of enemies, but later in life he goes from a shepherd to the king of Israel. And when he was king of Israel, he learned what it meant to have a table prepared before him, kind of like the one that we're used to. No, a little bigger than this one, but we're used to kind of the dining room table, right? And what would happen is his servants would go out and they would prepare the table before he even came out. They would set out the fine china. They would go to grandma's old hutch, right? Start pulling out the good dishes and opening for the good silverware. They're pretty much setting up Thanksgiving dinner. That's the picture that we're used to. But remember, David didn't prepare this table. It was his servants who prepared this table. So let's look at that in the context of our verse again. It says, you prepare a table before me. Remember, this is David talking to God. And he's saying, God, you are preparing a table before me, meaning that the God of the universe, the God who has breathed out stars and galaxies, who set the whole creation into motion, 
right? The God who put on human flesh to come down and save us from sin and hell is the same God who is preparing a table full of wonderful food. He is the one hosting you. This God is serving you. Let that sink in for a minute. God himself, who breathed out galaxies, he sees you, he saves you, and he says, come, I want to dine with you. Now, I didn't come up with this illustration, but it's, it's so powerful, and I believe it speaks huge amounts of volume. It really spoke to me. And so what happens, you could picture yourself coming in from this side, and then God's over here. Not that I'm God, I'm just going to pretend for a little bit, okay? But God sees you, he says, hey, welcome, do, do you want to sit down? Man, it is so good to see you. Can I pour you a drink? Do you know this is living water? That's all I provide. Don't mind if I do either. So how are you? I am so glad you're here. I, I love you so much, and I am glad that you are dining. Please eat your fill, because I have prepared this meal for you. See, this is that picture that David is giving right here. And I think a lot of times we forget where this table is located, right? We know it's, yeah, it's on a stage right now. We get that. But the table in the verse, where is this thing located? In the presence of my enemies. It's in the presence of my enemies, meaning the people who hate you, the people who are throwing shade on you, who are gossiping about you, who are always tearing you down. They are looking at you dine with the king of glory. Really and truly, I think they're just jealous. But they don't think you deserve it. They might say things like, well, well, you don't deserve this because you did this and you said that and you've fallen short and you don't deserve to be loved by Jesus because of what you did and blah, 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 blah. Right? This is who that table is in front of. It's in front of those enemies. And they're going to want to come and sit down at your table and get your eyes focused somewhere else other than being focused on God. Pastor Louis Giglio, just a few weeks ago, I, I love the timing of this, he wrote a book, and it's called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. <laughs> Powerful title. Just in nine words right there, I was blown away by the amount of, I guess, truth that's just in that phrase. Because how often will we be dining with God and then the enemy decides to come over to grab his own chair and pull up a seat right beside you and just say, hey, how's it going? Look how fast the enemy just got to your table. Didn't take long, did it? Said, hey, man, how's it going? Mind if I have some of these? Do you prepare these? No, they're not that good. Try again next time. So, man, how's home? Hmm? You still with your wife? Man, I don't know how you put up with her. She is crazy. You know, the grass is always greener, man. You should just follow your heart. You know, that, that lady that's been flirting with you at work, why don't you go talk to her? Hmm? How, about, um, how about work? How's that going? Your boss still a jerk? Don't answer that. Yeah, he's still giving you a hard time. You know, he doesn't listen to your ideas. He doesn't help out with anything around here. 
He doesn't think you're good enough. He really just wants you gone. You know, there's a better pasture over here. Why don't you just take that job? You're going to be appreciated. They're going to love you. All these different things. Yeah. And, and you see how fast he just got into you and got your eyes off of who you were dining with. It did not take much, did it? It didn't take much at all. He comes up to you. He gets you all riled up, thinking that I'm going to remind you of your past and all the mistakes and all the sins you've committed, all the things that Jesus has already forgiven you for when you repented. I'm going to remind you of the things that somebody said or somebody did, telling you that you're not good enough. He's going to get you all riled up, and now your focus is on your enemy. So the whole point here is do not give the enemy a seat at your table. And if he does have a seat at your table, you take that chair, you tell him to get out, you fold it up, and you put it away. Because again, this is a reservation for two. Amen? Amen. This is a reservation for two, and this is not meant for anyone else but you and God. Because when God is sitting across from you, when he is serving you that warm, homemade bread that just came out of the oven, when you are focused upon that, when you are focused upon God, your focus will not be on your enemies. It'll be on the one who is hosting you, the Lord of hosts himself. So don't focus on the enemies in your presence. Focus on the Savior at your table, okay? Don't focus on your enemies. Focus on your Savior. But in order for all of this to happen, you guys, we have to sit down with him, okay? It's not DoorDash. It's not Dine and Dash. This is sit and enjoy. I love how Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, when a soldier is in the presence of his enemies... If he eats at all, he snatches a hasty meal and then hastens away to the fight. But observe, you prepare a table just as a servant does when she unfolds the damask cloth and displays the ornaments of the feast on an ordinary peaceful occasion. Nothing is hurried. There is no confusion. There's no disturbance. The enemy is at the door, and yet God prepares a table, and the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. Because how often do we come in from this side and we see something beautiful that God's prepared, and we say, wow, look at this. God, this is, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. You know, I, I wish I had time to sit down and dine with you, but I'm too busy. So what do we do? You know what? This looks so good. I better grab a little to-go box. You know, bread of life. Well, I'm on keto. I better not. I better put that back. Ooh, oranges. There we go. You know, this looks wonderful. I'm going to take a little bit with me. I'm going to grab this to-go cup. You know, Jesus, you're, you're awesome. Thank you for preparing this for me. Oh, but before we go, can't forget the most important part. Or take a selfie. All right. So hashtag alpha eats, huh? hashtag taste and see, hashtag blessed. What's your handle again? That's right. Tag at the good shepherd. Perfect. Jesus, I got you tagged. Look for those pictures, bro. 
I appreciate it. You're awesome. I love you. Thank you. And then we go to our friends and we start bragging about them. Hey, did you see on social media who I got to eat dinner with? And really and truly, you just twisted the whole story because you didn't sit with God at all. You abused your time with God and you flipped it into something that it wasn't, right? You blew off time with God. Guilty. You blew off time with God. But that post you made on social media sure made it look real, didn't it? Right? When in reality, it was just 100% fake. So this shouldn't be dine and dash at all. Did you know that actually 60 years ago, the average time for family dinner was an hour and a half? That was the average time for family dinner. Just last year when this survey was taken, do you know what it is in accordance to today? It's less than 12 minutes. Less than 12 minutes. On that same note, the number one predictor of future academic success for elementary-age children, you guessed it, frequent family dinners. There's a reason that Jesus puts so much emphasis on meals and on the table and on being with one another. You know what he did right before he got arrested and went to the cross? He sat at the table. He reclined with the disciples. He ate with them. He drank with them. And he enjoyed their time pouring into each other. Right? He sat down at the table and dined with his people, showing us this huge significance. I love how Psalm 34 says it. We've sang this one around here a few times, but it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And how happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Right? Blessed is he who hides in the Lord. Right? By dining with him and by focusing on him, you are at the table with the Lord and you're protected. Because did you know it was actually the host's job to protect the guests at all costs in ancient East culture? Like they would have to protect the guest at all costs. And that's what he's doing even when the enemies are sitting right outside of our windows. You know, but I got to admit, when I first started thinking about this, about God serving me, it just kind of makes me feel uneasy, if I'm being honest. Right? I don't, I don't really think I'm good enough for God to serve me. I've gone down my, my own paths, not the paths of righteousness, but those paths of selfishness. I've been cast aside like the sheep way too many more times than I'd like to admit. Right, God, shouldn't I be the one who's serving you, who's preparing the table for you? I mean, you, you've done everything for me, and you don't owe me anything. You've just done everything. Shouldn't I be serving you, God? And I think in, in this today, I think the answer is no and yes. I'll tell you why. Because in this instance, in this verse, and in this context, this is God pouring into you. This is God rejuvenating you and reviving you. This is that one-on-one time with God where you get to sit with him, talk to him by praying to him, by him talking to you to where we just keep our mouths shut and listen for once, by where we read his word and where we spend that quiet time with the Lord. However, should we be serving God? Well, the answer is yes and amen, absolutely. But how do we serve the God who has everything? This God who has the best of the best of the best. Check this out. We serve him by serving others. We serve God by serving others. 
And we are told this time and time again in the scriptures. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Jesus himself said in Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. And then lastly, probably one of my favorite verses is Mark 10, 45. It says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what's our takeaway today? When God sets the table, he sets the example. When God sets the table, he set the example. He did the same servant services when at the last supper, when at the last meal, when he bent down with the towel around his waist and he took his disciples' feet and started washing them. That would have been the lowest of the low jobs in the house, and that's what Jesus decided to do. So when God sets a table, he sets the example. And likewise, he served us, just like that last verse said. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He served us when he came down from heaven and prepared the table, when he prepared the way for us to be saved. That's how he served us, right? He has been there ahead of us, enduring every situation that could cause harm. And since he himself has gone through suffering and temptation, he is able to help us when we are being tempted, Hebrews 4.15 says it this way. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He did it without sin. And that high priest that we're talking about, that is Jesus Christ himself. And he knows the way to the table land, and he has gone ahead to prepare it. He knows what the banquet dinner is supposed to look like, and he has gone ahead of us to prepare it. So whatever the main focus of this portion is, if it's a, if it's a dining table or if it's a table lands, the main point here that we can all take away is that the shepherd provides for us and protects us. Imagine that. Verse 1 comes all the way back to verse 5 and is still ringing true from the top. Verse one is, the Lord is my shepherd, and I have what I need. He provides for us, and he protects us. It's amazing. So not only do we see a table here, this, this powerful picture of this table, but we also see the oil. So if you're taking notes, write that one down, the oil. Let's look at what the text says here. It says, you anoint my head with oil. Okay, again, let's start with our sheep facts. There's a few reasons why the shepherd would go and anoint his flock with oil when they got to the new tablelands. Whenever they were in the high country and it's summertime, it's kind of like when we go to the bighorns. What's the first thing? You hop out of your truck and a mosquito hits you right in the face. Or a fly buzzes you right in the face, doesn't it? It's annoying. And these, these bugs are doing what they're properly named for. They're, they're just bugging you. Right? And the ticks, what are they doing? They're ticking you off. All right? There's a dad joke for you. You can, you can keep that one. But the shepherd would use the oil to keep the bugs and the ticks out of the eyes and the ears of the sheep. And if the shepherd didn't do this, this is disgusting, by the way, just, just heads up. If the shepherd didn't anoint their heads with oil, 
there's these things called nose or, or nasal flies. And they would fly right to the membrane of the nose of the sheep, and they would lay their eggs. After a few days, the eggs would hatch, and the larvae, right, those little worms, they would bury themselves into the flesh of the sheep, causing irritation and cut. Yeah, it's, I see some of your faces. It's, yeah, gross, right? It's disgusting what they would do. But what would happen was it would irritate the sheep so much that they would start banging their heads against the ground, against rocks, against trees, trying to get relief from all this. Sometimes they'd hit themselves so hard that they would actually die. That's messed up. Secondly, the oil was actually meant to deflect the blows of the bigger sheep who would butt heads. Remember a few weeks back, we talked about those sheep who think that they're on the top of the flock, right? That they want to show their dominance, that they're the top one. They even wanted to be the shepherd kind of deal. So they'd get riled up after this long trip, and they'd start butting heads with each other. Well, the oil would actually help them deflect so it wouldn't hit as hard. That oil is nice and slick. It would sit there and deflect it. But however, if there was a hard blow that happened to their heads, the oil would sit there and would act medicinally. So it would act as a medicine. It would cover up the wound and help those things heal. But the biggest picture of oil that we see throughout Scripture is the oil being a symbol or a type or a picture of the Holy Spirit. So today, I just want to ask you, what, what's bugging you? Right? Are, are you ticked off? Are you irritated? If so, does it manifest itself in you wanting to butt heads with other brothers and sisters? Is that what's going on? If so, what we need is a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7. He said, if you then who are evil, yikes, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You know, the best gift that we can ever receive from God when we ask him is the gift of the Holy Spirit to live within us, to guide us, and to dwell amongst us. So if you're bugged and ticked off and you're butting heads today, ask God to give you a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So on the other hand, those are our sheep facts. Let's look at the host anointing the guest of honor. Right, today in our culture, if we're sitting around a table and someone says, hey, I'm so glad you're here, and they started dumping olive oil on my head, they, they might get punched in the nose, if I'm being honest. You know, now I hate that feeling of greasy anyways. I don't like that. Now, now I smell like somebody's gonna put me in the oven at 400 degrees for 20 minutes. Like, I, that's not cool. Don't do that. But in the proper context, in the right setting of time and of culture, the anointing of oil was a very honorable thing. Right? And it could mean a few things. For one, the, the priests, the anointing of oil for them, it would speak of the consecration or them actually being set apart. That's what that word means, consecration. They're being set apart for the work that they are doing. Or for kings, the anointing of oil was actually associated with the coronation. Right? They would be taking over the throne to become the next king. It was saying, hey, here's your new king, and they would anoint you with oil. And this must have spoke volumes to little David when he was a shepherd boy because Samuel comes out to him and he anoints him to be king, but David doesn't become king right away. It's many, many years down the road before he gets to be king. No, I believe it really caused David to keep his eyes on God, to trust in God's promise. It didn't happen right away, but trust me, David, it's coming your way. 
enemies all around him as a small shepherd boy, other people who wanted the throne telling him the same thing, you don't deserve the throne. You're just a shepherd boy. His own dad wouldn't even bring up his name when they was asked about all of his sons. There's nothing, though. There is absolutely nothing that the enemy can do to him when he is anointed by the one true God. And every believer, I want you to hear this today, every believer is anointed with the Holy Spirit the moment that he receives the Savior. This anointing guarantees him the teaching ministry of God the Spirit. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and now lives inside of you and dwells with you and guides you in the ways of God. That's what's going on here. So we've seen the table. We've seen this amazing picture of the oil as well. But we also have a third element at the table, and that's the cup. We see the cup. So we have this cup, and it's not empty. We have this cup, and depending on if you're optimist or pessimist, right, it's not half empty or half full. It's not even full to the brim. What does the text say? My cup overflows. Sounds messy. Sounds real messy. But again, in the context of the ancient East, people are sitting around the table there. They're eating this fine food. They're drinking the best wine. And how full your cup was actually sent a message. Did you know that? It sent a message. The king would have one servant who had a big old jar of wine. He would go around and constantly fill the cups. And if your cup was constantly being filled, they were saying, hey, there's still more time to, to the party. We want you to stay with us. We want you to hang out. Enjoy yourself. But when they stopped filling your cup, they were saying, hey, it's getting late. No, I, uh, I packed you up some, uh, some to-go goodies here. Thanks to Applebee's. Get that. There's a to-go cup for you. You know, we, we had a good time, but it's time for you to grab your coat and, you know, hit the bricks. Right? They, they didn't want to overstay their welcome. They all need that sign that says, welcome to the party, please leave by eight. That's, that's the sign that the king probably needed to hold up. But if they kept filling your cup, it meant, please don't go anywhere. We want you to stay. However, check this out. If the master or the host of the party sent the servant over to fill the cup, not just to the top, but then overflowing onto the table, the master was telling him, hey, guess what? You are a guest of honor, and you are welcomed here. I don't want you to go anywhere. You could even stay here for a few nights. This is Airbnb without me charging you a dime. So please come and stay with us. And guess what? Jesus is sitting at our table with us, and he is overflowing our cup. Right? He is showing us he wants us to be his, that he wants us to dine with him, that he wants us to never leave and unpack all of our things and stay with him. And maybe you have a different view of God or you grew up with a different view of God that says, no, he's just this thing that's out there hating me. They put everything in emotion. And he's just this cruel watchmaker who hasn't done anything in my life and he just hates me. I want you to know that that cannot be farther from the truth, because that's not what the text says, right? Because if he hated you, he wouldn't fill your plate with food. If he hated you, he wouldn't anoint your head with expensive oils. That stuff wasn't cheap. And if he hated you, 
If he truly hated you, he would leave that cup empty and dry and probably turned over so you don't even use it. But that's not what's going on here, is it? No, the, the table is full. The oil is fresh with the best spices. And the cup, it is overflowing. He wants you to stay and be with him. I love how F.B. Meyer put it. He was a pastor and he said it this way. He said, whatever the blessing is in our cup, it is sure to run over. With him, the calf is always the fatted calf. The robe is always the best robe. The joy is unspeakable. And the peace passeth understanding. And caps it off with this. There is no grudging in God's benevolence. God desires to bless you with everything, with ev I'm sorry, with everlasting life through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you make the decision to follow him and to trust him as your shepherd, as you are his sheep, then he will bless you with abundant life, is what the scripture tells us. Life to its fullest. Now, blessings, they, yeah, sure, they can be physical things, but that's not really the best blessing of all, is it? God tells us multiple times, don't store up treasures in heaven. I can't tell you how much he talks about money and how that can lead you down the wrong path. These are not the things that he's talking about. He is talking about these bigger and better spiritual blessings that will last forever. One of the most times that Jesus ever uses the word blessed is in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. And he doesn't really start it the way that we would think, right? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty, who are merciful, who are peacemakers. And blessed are those who are persecuted. Kind of a different version of blessed, right? And that word in the Greek actually means happy. So happy are those who are persecuted. Kind of a different theme than we're used to. However, it goes back to this. It is well with my soul, no matter the situation, because God has saved me from sin and from hell, and I want to trust him and follow him no matter what. That's why we're blessed. Right, but now your cup is running over with these blessings because God, when he does bless, it's, it's abundantly. He is a good God. And so what I want to challenge you with is to not keep the blessings to yourself, right? If he has blessed you with abundance, bless someone else with what he is giving, with what he has given you. Don't let your blessings become your idols. Let your blessings overflow into generosity, right? Don't just keep everything to yourself and let that blessing become an idol. Because if he's blessed you with a gift, which scripture tells us that he's blessed all of us with spiritual gifts, then we need to use them to bless others, right? If he's given you the gift of service, then serve others. If he's given you the gift of giving, then give to others. If he's given you the gift of encouragement, then go and encourage people for the sake of the Lord. If he has given you the gift of mercy and helps, then do so unto others. Because remember what we said before, when God sets the table, he sets the example. Just as he has done to us, we should be going out and doing unto others, right? Just as he loved us, let us go and love our neighbors as ourselves. Don't let your blessings become idols because God wants to bless you. Absolutely, he does. But really and truly, 
He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us a thing. He's just that good of a God. He is that good of a shepherd that he wants to bless those who follow him. Did you hear that? He wants to bless those who follow him. He wants to bless you, but if you're not following after God and you're still living in your sin, God's not going to bless your sin. Right? I'll go so far as to say it this way. God cannot bless your sin because that is against his nature. That's against who he is. He can't bless sin. That's who he is. He is perfect in all of his ways. But if you turn to him, you follow after him, you repent of those sins, man, he's going to outpour your blessings and he's going to overflow your cup once again. You know, and some of this may be weird to hear, I know it's kind of weird for me to hear that, that Jesus wants to dine with me, that, that he wants to anoint me, that he wants to overflow my cup and bless me. You know, why would he want to do that after everything that I've said in life, after everything that I've done in life, these paths that I've taken time and time again, all the mistakes I've made, all the sins that I've committed, there's no way I'd even be allowed in the restaurant, let alone at the table, to dine with God. But I got to get that thinking, or we got to get that thinking out of our heads. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to take the keys of hell and Hades and to claim victory over that. He loves us so much that he died the most brutal death known to man. They actually had to make up a new word for the pain on the cross called excruciating. That literally means from the cross. That's what he went through because he loves us. He doesn't want us to stay in our old ways. He doesn't want us stuck in our sins. He wants us to walk in the new life that he provides us. And I tell you what, if he's willing to die on a cross for you, you can bet that he wants to sit and dine with you. Remember that God has set everything up for you. He has the one. He is the one who prepared the table. He is the one who anoints you with oil. He is the one who makes your cup overflow. And so today, come to the table, dine with him, because he's got a reservation for two, and you bet that he's got a seat for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today, and I thank you, God, that you have prepared this table, usually not in the place that we would expect it, but God, we know that even in the presence of our enemies, that you are still good. Lord, today I ask that whatever view that we've had of God growing up, whether it's been something of a, of a just off deity that doesn't even care about us, if we have this idea that God is saying, well, if you mess up even just a little bit, I'm not going to love you anymore, and you've fallen from my grace, and you get no second chances, God, I pray that we would see you rightly, that we would see you for who you are. God, that we would trust you above all things, that we would know that you do want to dine with us and that you do want to anoint our heads with oil for your sake because, God, everything that's done, everything in life, everything that we can do and say is for your glory and for your honor. Jesus, thank you for being our living hope, the one who has come to earth to save us from these sins. Help us to walk in your ways 
and help us to trust you as our good shepherd and help us to remember that we have what we need and it's all found in you. We ask this in your name, Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and hit the Give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.